Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to FemWonk, a policy and current affairs podcast that discusses both innovative and traditional policy from a perspective of gender and inclusion. I'm your host, Katie Davey, and today we chat with Kate Graham about her project that she launched with Canada 2020 called No Second Chances. This project is about the women who have held the office of first minister across Canada, that being premier or prime minister. There have only been 12 in the history of Canada. So we talk about the project as well as some barriers that these women have faced in their careers and things that we as Canadians can do to help support women in leadership positions. We end the episode talking about some barriers that women face in the legislature, and that's actually a topic that's been coming up over the last couple of weeks. So our current affairs lightning round, we still need a name for that, so let me know what you think, section of this episode will talk a little bit more about inclusive legislatures and some of the things that we've been keeping our eyes on. So let's get into the interview. Kate, thank you so much for joining FemWonk today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Katie. I'm thrilled to be here. It's my pleasure. Um, I love the new project you just launched, No Second Chances. I wonder if you could begin by telling me a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, so in Canada, we have had more than 300 people serve in our most senior role as a first minister, meaning a prime minister or premier, and only 12 have been women. And so this project is about understanding Uh, what the experience of women in our most senior roles looks like and also what it reflects back on us as Canadians. So for the past uh, two months, uh, myself and the team at Canada 2020, we have traveled across Canada. We visited each of these women uh, in their homes generally and uh, sat down to hear a little bit about what it's like to rise and fall in Canadian politics as a woman. I've listened so far to the first few episodes and I can't wait for the rest to be released, but I've already learned so much, but also have been really awestruck, I think, about how humbling the experience is to listen directly to the words of all of those amazing women. So I, yeah, I can't wait to to keep listening. And I'm sure it's been such a great experience for you and your team. Oh, well, thanks. It, it has been incredible. And um, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on the power of hearing someone's story in their own words. Uh, and I think what you'll find, you know, we're walking chronologically through this um, podcast series from, you know, childhood to the decision to run to what it's like as a new elected official running for leader, you know, serving as a leader. And then I think what you'll hear is there's quite a turn in the series where um, we pay pretty close attention to what happens. You know, why do women uh, only last about half as long as men do in the role? Why have we never reelected one of these women? You know, what happens? What does that fall look like? And uh Hearing about those experiences, which are often quite tough on not only the individual, but their whole family. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty powerful, actually. And I think there's some uh, fairly profound insights about our political culture and our political system that uh, that are still yet ahead in the series. So I'm really happy you're, you're tuned in. I, I really hope that you enjoy it. I've, I've certainly learned a lot by going through this experience. And Kate, would you mind telling us a little bit more about your personal experience and how that has influenced this project and really the creation of the project? Certainly. Yeah, so I uh, I ran as a candidate in the 2018 Ontario provincial election. And, uh, you know, I've, I've loved politics my whole life. I, you know, I'm a political scientist by trade. I've worked um, in public service, but it was my first time stepping forward as a candidate, which is always a big, a uh, big step by and large had a really wonderful experience but i would say i was quite surprised and fairly disheartened by 
a number of the comments that I heard as a candidate about Kathleen Wynne, who's the you know first female premier of Ontario, first openly gay uh, premier in Canada, and I heard a lot of um, you know people would say things like you know you seem like a great candidate, but I just can't support your leader. And I would say okay, you know what is it about her? And they would say things like you know it's just her face, or you know I can't stand the sound of her voice, or she doesn't seem like a leader, things like that. And um, and after the election, you know it was those comments that I couldn't stop thinking about, and uh, that kind of led to the creation of this project. But I, I think it to me it it highlighted you know how difficult the experiences for women leaders and often our expectations of women leaders are almost impossible. You know, we want them to be the same things we want men to be, you know, really accomplished professionals, great um, politicians, you know, really successful from a policy perspective. But we also expect them to be, you know, fit into kind of this mold of the perfect mom and the perfect partner. Uh, we want them to look great while doing it. We're very critical of their appearance in a way that we're not of men. So we have these expectations that I think are um, often pretty unrealistic and it, it that's on us as Canadians you know it says more about us I think than it does about uh, women in the world so it was really that that campaign experience and hearing the way that people were evaluating and thinking about the choice of a political leader that uh, that led us to undertake this exploration. Yeah I think it's so important for us to be considering what both our conscious and unconscious biases are when we think about women in leadership and just the episode, the second episode, I remember a piece of, I believe it was Kathleen Wynne mentioning how when she started school, she really wanted to play in the block corner, but that wasn't really okay at the time. And I thought that was so interesting because I recently, we recently did an interview with with Jill Lamb and she was starting a conference in New Brunswick called Girls STEM Up, where they brought together um, high school and university age girls to talk about STEM fields. And she made a comment to me about how she has heard her profs or she's heard colleagues um, and their profs say things like, oh, girls, this exercise will be more difficult for you because boys played with blocks when they grew up. And it was so stark yeah. because, <laughs> you know, Miss Wynn mentioned it talking when she started school, but this is still something that folks in university STEM courses still face today. Yeah, I think that it's, I've been surprised as well by how often, um, or how maybe it's more how directly we can connect some of our childhood experiences and childhood exposure to gender roles to, you know, the very real political consequences for women in leadership roles. So, you know, we are trained pretty early on to uh, think that women need to embody certain characteristics. And uh, when it, we'll hear this in a later episode, but uh, Christy Clark talked about, you know, we live in a world where for men, it's totally acceptable and often, um, you know, being tough and being likable, they, they go together. You know, those two things can be mutually reinforcing. For women, being tough and being likable, it's like ends of the spectrum. And part of that, you know, goes back to those early childhood roles. But the closer that a woman leader gets to tough, often the further she is from likable. And we heard this over and over and over again from these women. They would have people say to them, you know, we used to like, you know, used to be so nice. You know, and someone saying, you know, I was elected to, you know, on a mandate to adjust the budget or make some kinds of changes. Like, you know, to expect nice as one of the criteria for someone who's serving as a premier prime minister uh, you know, I, I think we really need to to check ourselves on what's underneath those expectations. 
So in just a few short years, we've gone from a country where it looked like we were really making progress on having having women in the top roles with almost half of our first ministers being women, but we're nearing a situation where we might have literally zero across the country. Why is the conversation that No Second Chances creates so important in this current political climate when we see that, you know, we might be going backwards a little bit? You, know, you, you mentioned uh, the first episode, and we, we kind of situate the, the entire context of this project as, as um, around a very different problem than the one we often talk about. So we tend to think that we've made a lot of progress in Canada when it comes to the empowerment of women. And certainly that is true. There are lots of successes we can point to. But I think we fall prey sometimes to thinking that this is a, a one fight, you know, that we have achieved a certain um, you know position where we don't need to be as worried about this anymore. And that sense of complacency or, or lack of urgency, I actually think is the core problem that we need to address here because it just doesn't line up with the actual numbers. You know, when you look at the percentage of elected bodies that are uh, filled by women, you know, we haven't made meaningful progress, I would argue, in about 30 years in this country. And certainly when you look higher up into these more senior roles, you know, the fact that we've only had 12 women in these roles the fact that they don't last as long, the fact that they don't get reelected. And I don't think there's a, a better case of this than looking at Rachel Notley, you know, currently the sole female first minister in Canada who's heading into a really tough political race. And, you know, it's it's very common in Canadian politics for incumbents to be reelected. And, you know, as with any election, there are lots of issues at play, lots of partisan issues and policy issues and so on. It's never about one thing. But I, I really believe that gender uh, is a part of that race as it is uh, in any case where there's a, a prominent woman that we are evaluating to literally give her a second chance, uh, you know, and depending on how that goes, as you say, we may be in a situation where we have no women leading and uh, and I'm not aware of any uh, kind of on the horizon. So it's a, it's a moment for us as Canadians, I think, to pause and reflect and again, ask, you know, that kind of basic question about, are we a society where men and women have equal opportunities to succeed and to lead and if the answer is a hard one, it's a no or not, I think we need to be prepared to ask the next question, which is what are we going to do about it? Yeah, no, I think that that is such an interesting way to both look and frame the problem. We often hear on the podcast when we're ch- chatting about different policy issues, folks that we invite on will often talk about representation broadly, whether again, it's elected officials uh, at the board level or just even engaging folks in the policy conversation that are actually impacted by the policy decisions. Um, What I really, what I've heard you say, and I'd like you to expand on it a bit if you wouldn't mind, is kind of, it's not about them, them being the elected officials per se, but it's more about us. Um, And, you know, I think that that's an interesting way of framing it because it is, of course, every Canadian that casts their ballot. Um, so I'd like to hear your perspective a little bit more on that, on why why we're kind of flipping it on its head a little bit. And I, again, I agree with that framing, but I'd like I'd like more um, insight on that. I think. Sure, sure. Well, it's been um, it's been an interesting experience again to sit uh, to sit down with these women and hear the stories because there's almost a bit of deja vu when you hear them walk through what the rise and fall looks like, and so. You know, when a woman is first elected to this role, and in all cases but two, you know, all of these women were the very first woman to ever occupy that seat. And so when they're going through the leadership process, you know, the party convention and so on, 
and then they're elected and sometimes, you know, immediately making them uh, the premier. Sometimes it's a path towards being a premier after the next election. Either way, there's a lot of fanfare and excitement about, you know, hooray, we've broken this glass ceiling, we've got a woman there. And I think often there are, uh, there's a sense that, um, you know, people are excited about that because they want to see politics change. You know, there are things that they want to see done differently. And seeing someone who looks like a very different kind of candidate, different kind of leader, there's some excitement and optimism that comes with that. So that's always a really, you know, happy, joyful part of the story. Uh, and then something happens. And this is, again, the part that we're really focused on on this project is uh, then something happens where, um, you know, maybe a difficult decision has to be made or, you know, a key stakeholder group, something doesn't go their way. And things begin to unravel really, really quickly. And I will say that, you know, as a listener, hearing uh, these women point to where they believe sort of the beginning of the end was, the stories are pretty unspectacular. You know, they're kind of run-of-the-mill things that happen in politics all the time. Uh, things that I, I tend to think men weather better. And so in the case of a female leader, you, you know, we hear about, you know, a bit of a change in dynamic in sometimes their staff team or their caucus or their party generally, uh, often the headlines then start to turn to, you know, least popular premier in Canada. Almost all of them have had that headline written about them. You know, the polling numbers fall apart and, and things uh, very quickly go from being a problem to either a resignation or a lost election. Again, in a, you know, their, their tenure on average is about half the length of men, so it tends to happen quite quickly. And I don't, you know, this is just more of a personal judgment on this. When I hear these stories, uh, I'm not thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, what a, what a terrible decision that was. Often they're tough decisions that I may or may not agree with. But to have that be the end of a political career so quickly, I do think really says something about uh, the readiness for us as, uh, as a society to see women lead and to see women uh, make tough decisions. Uh, one of the women, I think it was uh, Kathleen, when she phrased it, that, you know, women don't wear as well on people. They kind of tire more quickly. Or uh, again, you know, Christy Clark talked about when a tough decision is made, you, you sort of lose that likability factor in the dynamics around you change. So again, I think that what we're hearing is, you know, these women are in some ways a mirror back on uh, our political system, our institutions of government, and on us and our readiness to accept uh, seeing a different kind of leadership, seeing women in those leadership roles. So what can, you know, what can an individual like me do to try to support these women or not necessarily, I guess, at this point, these women, but women who either aspire or are on the leadership track to hold these positions? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I believe that a big part of the solution is really about awareness about how uh, sexism plays into our political system today. So I think, you know, it's it's very rare that you hear someone um, say something I think sort of overtly say, you know, I don't vote for women or I don't think that we should see women lead. I think most people like the idea of seeing women in politics, seeing women in leadership. We know that when men and women run in even proportion, they tend to win in about even proportion. So we don't have a problem uh, electing women. I think our problem then comes when we see them making tough decisions and that's built into expectations that we hold. It's built into the way that we evaluate leaders. It's built into the way that the media reports on leaders. And so being able to pull back um, and be more aware of where we see a different expectation for a man versus a woman creeping in, being able to spot that in a media story, for example, or in how an opposition campaign is launched, in the way that uh, policies are framed often to 
Um, you know, if you can, if you can pull apart and say, you know, if it was a man in that role, would this be framed differently? And if the answer is yes, both being able to spot that, but then also calling that out, I think is really uh, important. And again, rests on us as Canadians to be aware that there are still those biases. We need to be able to spot them and we need to be able to stop them. Yeah, I love that response. And I think it's bang on. It's being having that own personal awareness to see when folks are commenting or when things are being said that probably shouldn't and having that ability to both recognize it internally and and call that behavior out. I think it's so important. I think there are some some um, more formal barriers that still exist uh, for women as well. You know, childcare is sort of the obvious one to point to. Uh, there are examples of, and these are probably some of the more hurtful stories that we've been hearing, you know, where um, traveling with her child, for example, as the premier and um, being criticized for that or it being, um, you know, judgments on how she is as a mother or her parenting, you know, where when you see, um, you know, when you see Trudeau get off an airplane with his children, there's all this, oh, what a great dad he is and so on. It's a different expectation than when we see uh, women having some expectation that, um, you know, childcare or having your child with them as a leader is, you know, a necessary part of the job to allow them to do the job. So I, I think having conversations with some of those formal barriers uh, still is needed as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think there's also just literally the the frameworks that exist to support both women as premiers or just women elected officials broadly. Uh, something that I found very interesting in the New Brunswick legislature is only recently that the kind of method to which MLAs are paid was shifted so that they could access parental leave, for example, if that were to come up. Um, and it's just like those little barriers you don't even really exactly. think about because we haven't actually seen very many folks either of childbearing age, to be quite frank, or folks who actually... Um, are elected and have children and need need those supports in a different way. And and so they're important conversations to have. And I think it's just another example of, you know, if if we can't see the issues or we can't see the people that these um, policies impact, it's really hard to have those conversations about what that change looks like, which then just creates that barrier. And it's kind of the cyclical um, cyclical nature because we're not seeing the barriers impact folks because they're not actually there, which means that you can't actually get there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well said. So what can we expect for the rest of the project? Uh, so the, there'll be a new podcast episode coming out every Monday for the next couple of weeks. And as I said, it's uh, a chronological journey. So we've, we've already released the childhood episode and then uh, the early decision to run. Uh, the next one coming out will be what life is like as an early elected official. And then, again, going through the leadership path, uh, leading, and then uh, kind of the, the fall from politics, and then life after politics. So, they're, you know, paying attention to those uh, podcasts is one way to connect with the project. We also have a website at nosecondchances.ca, where we'll be releasing a number of other things over time, including uh, short video clips, uh, some written content, and so on. And then the project will culminate in June. We're having uh, a large event on June the 12th in Ottawa, where the women will be coming together in person for an event. And so we, we're still working on the details of what exactly that looks like, but uh, we'll have that up on uh, the website, nosecondchances.ca, as soon as we can. And uh, for people who are interested in being a part of that event, you can um, 
you can send your email address and we'll let you know when all the details are up. So yeah, a whole bunch of ways to stay connected with the project, but the weekly podcast, which comes out each Monday, uh, it's probably the easiest way to kind of follow along this journey. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kate. No problem. And thank you so much for uh, the work you're doing for your podcast series, which is awesome. And for the chance to speak about No Second Chances. Okay, so our current affairs lightning round. As I mentioned, you did hear in the interview towards the end that we started talking a bit about some barriers that face women when they actually get elected into the legislature. This is a topic that has now come up on my radar, I think, two or three times in the past couple of weeks. Um, One, there was an issue in the BC legislature where the sergeant-at-arms let some staff members know that their shirts were inappropriate. Basically, they were showing their arms, they were wearing a t-shirt. So that's an issue of dress code, so that's one thing, and I will actually link some news articles below if you want to learn more. The second thing in New Brunswick, uh, the Green Party MLA Kevin Arsenault brought up the fact that the Lord's Prayer is said every morning in the chamber. That, again, something that's not really at all religiously inclusive and is a bit of an outdated tradition in my opinion. Um, And third, actually, there was an article done by Acting Nouvelle in New Brunswick by Matsuro Como on members in New Brunswick who have young kids. And there were a couple of issues outlined there based on, you know, traveling back and forth to the legislature and how demanding those roles are while having young kids. So all of these things really got my juices flowing again. This was a topic I thought a lot about while I was in the Premier's office and did a lot of research as well on ways that we can basically accelerate inclusion because, as we said in the episode, one of the issues is you don't really see the issue when the folks that that issue, count how many times I say issue, um, when the folks that are impacted by that issue are not represented in the legislature. A great example in the New Brunswick case, it's always something that, um, you know, makes you kind of bewildered. The first uh, MLA that was a woman was elected just 50 years ago, and when she was elected, there was actually no bathroom for her to use in the legislature. Again, an issue that wouldn't have come up because there were just no women. So I think that that's really interesting when we talk about inclusive legislatures and when we talk about getting more whether it's women or folks that are underrepresented in legislatures elected, we need to also realize that there will be barriers that they are going to face based on, honestly, tradition and archaic policies and procedures because those legislatures have just never been confronted with updating them. So I actually am doing a blog post on that topic itself, Honestly, I could do a whole series, so I'm working on paring it down. When this episode airs, the blog post should also be up. So again, I will link that below. Would really love to know what your thoughts are on that. And really, I would like be happy to have a conversation about how we can talk about some of these issues in a more inclusive way that respects a dialogue that allows for differences of opinion while also removing barriers for folks to actually participate in the democratic process. So with that, I will leave you until next week. Thanks so much again. If you want to keep up with us, we're at Femwonk on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Also check our website out, femwonk.com. And please, if you liked this episode, subscribe and leave us a review.